0: I promise I won't ever do that to you. You're still safe to come see me at the office. But I wanted to show that video this morning, uh, first of all, and mostly just because I like it. Uh, But secondly, because it's, it's a slightly less spiritual version of the conversation between Gabriel and Daniel. In chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Daniel that we're looking at today, as Gabriel explains the difference between the people who claim to follow God, but actually just follow their godless culture, they were religious people uh, without a relationship with Him, and then the people who actually know their God. and and make a difference in the world for good because of it. And we just started to touch on this subject at the end of the message last week, and so we're going to pick up on that same verse this morning that we ended on last Sunday as we finish this sermon series. And our study on the book of Daniel this morning. It's been, a, it's been a great study as we've seen this man who from the time he was just a teenage boy had everything stacked against him. I mean the world threw absolutely everything at him that it could. And yet, he, as he remained true to his God, he went on to accomplish the most amazing feats and was able to maintain a tremendous influence in his culture and in the government. In fact, in several governments over the decades and even over much of the civilized world at the time. Daniel was an extraordinary person who overcame extraordinary circumstances throughout his life because he knew his God and was faithful to him. And so in this final portion of scripture, in his book, we find the angel of God giving Daniel a glimpse into the future. And in actuality, it is a glimpse into our future as well. As again, he explains to Daniel the difference between uh, those who know about God and those who actually know God. And he says the latter will stand firm and take action in verse 32, which we'll see. And so it's no coincidence that as he spoke this message not only by his angel to Daniel, he also spoke it by example through Daniel as he lived out the lesson that God intended for each of us to learn uh, as we walk through our own troubled waters in this life and even beyond that as members of his church to whom is promised uh, great times of trial and hardship ahead. And so we're going to pick up the story at chapter 11, verse 32 today in what is really a part two to last week's message because our text this morning is a continuation of that same vision and so there's a lot of overlap uh, that those of you who were here last week will notice in today's study as the vision is continued by Gabriel as he makes one of the most uh, definitive statements I believe in all of scripture about what separates the true followers of God and those who are merely religious which we honed in again on last week and then he goes on to paint This picture of what standing firm and taking action looks like even in the face of the very worst persecution. So... This is really a bit of a playbook for the church as we move forward and should be a tremendous encouragement for those who truly know God because it's teaching us that we can be productive and effective and strong, come what may, no matter the times that we live in or our culture around us. So let's read it together, chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11. And we'll start again at verse 32 as Gabriel shares uh, this prophetic picture of Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the most ruthless and infamous rulers in ancient times, who not only fulfilled this specific prophecy from about 167 to 164 BC, but who also prefigures the Antichrist who is yet to come at the end of days. Okay, so uh, chapter 11, verse 32. The angel says, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Again, if you were here uh, last week, you know that we went over this, but I want to dissect it again quickly because it is not only a, a definitive statement about the difference between people who are merely religious and those who actually know God, but I believe that this verse also sets the tone for the rest of the book of Daniel. It's a pivotal uh, verse. So the phrase stand firm is the Hebrew word "kazak." It literally means to be strong and courageous. And the phrase take action is the Hebrew word asah, which means to act with effect. So you have those people who claim to be God's people, religious people who are seduced by the culture and they follow a, a perverted version of God's truth. And on the other side, you have those who know their God and it says that they are strong And courageous. They act with effect. That means that uh, those who know their God are the ones who are making a difference in the world, even under the worst kind of uh, outside pressure. And so I think it's really very important that we keep this verse in the next three verses or so in particular in mind as we continue with the rest of the story as Gabriel goes on to describe to Daniel all of these horrible exploits of this Antichrist who comes against the people of God in a bad way. And it's important because I think that we have a tendency as Christians when we study end time passages in the Bible to focus more on the Antichrist and the terrible things that scripture says that he will do rather than giving our full attention and to the true focus of the passage which of course is Jesus Christ and specifically here his people and what they're able to accomplish even through the very worst that this Antichrist has to dish out and so when you begin to read and understand these passages from that perspective you realize that what is actually happening and being communicated here is not that we're to live in fear or of the evil power of the Antichrist. Rather, it is that the Antichrist power and his prominence are being diminished throughout his reign of terror, as we'll see, because of the work of God that is greater than him, which happens to be constantly working within the people who actually know their God. So when we focus on the Antichrist and that evil that he perpetrates on the world, Uh, we're actually missing the forest for the trees because although obviously the Antichrist plays a significant role in these events, he's not the big news, okay? He, He doesn't get the headlines. He's not the breaking story in Gabriel's report to Daniel. No, it's actually the people of God who overcome the Antichrist who are the focus here, how we fare in all of this. That's the headline. That's the big story here. It's the classic epic adventure tale of good versus evil where it seems the entire world has come against the hero and yet seemingly against all odds he finds the strength to stand firm and take action that's what's going on in this story in this part of our text today which is exactly what has been going on throughout Daniel's entire life he's a living example of what God says that he will do through us even when times become really difficult in fact especially when times become really difficult. And so, as we continue uh, to read, pay attention to how Gabriel not only continually points out this contrast between the religious people and those who know God and how those two groups... Fair uh, through these end time events, but also notice that at the end of each section where he describes these terrible deeds of the Antichrist, notice how he redirects our attention back to the people of God who consistently stand firm and take action under the worst kind of abuse. And in the process, they're actually strengthened and purified uh, through all of the adversity. Okay, so he's describing to Daniel and to us what it will look like, uh, not only what happened in the past, but what it will look like as the people of God in our future know how to stand firm and take action for God during those most difficult times. So let's keep reading uh, verse 32 uh, again, and we'll read through verse 35 this time. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end, the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time." So first of all, this is initially a prophetic reference to... Uh, The Maccabean Revolt, okay, against the reign of terror brought down on the Jews by Antiochus Epiphanes. When verse 33 says that for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder, that's a direct reference to uh, the attack on Jerusalem by Antiochus where he killed 80,000 plus Jews. He took 40,000 more as prisoners and sold another 40,000 as slaves. He also plundered the temple. He robbed it of $1 billion dollars by today's standards of sacred items. And although a great number of Jews had become Hellenized, uh, meaning they had adopted the Greek culture around them, they caved to the pressure, uh, even though they still claimed to be God's people, those who truly knew God were looking for someone to lead them. So they not only stood firm, but as we'll see, they take action. And so I want us to let this bit of history, for us, it was prophetic for Daniel, I want us to allow this bit of history to really sink in because it's not only a great piece of history in and of itself, but it is just as much a picture of the nature and power and effectiveness of all of those who follow God today as we face the evil spirit of the Antichrist in our modern society. Okay? So, with that in mind, here are the events that Gabriel is describing prophetically to Daniel that have already occurred for us. He's also, again, this is foreshadowing our end times as well. But he's talking about here when Antiochus sent some of his officers into the town of Modin to establish his tyranny, to set up his reign and the extremely oppressive laws that violated everything that was sacred for the Jews. And so he sends these men in, and he was met by a local Jewish country priest named Mattathias. This turned out to be the wrong guy for Antiochus to mess with, or the right guy, depending upon your perspective. But either way, it was the beginning of the end for Antiochus, this evil uh, ruler who could seemingly never be overthrown, right? You have this little country priest... And they ordered him to fulfill his duty to the state and be the first person to sacrifice an animal to an altar of one of Antiochus' idols. But Mattathias refused. And so another Jewish man steps forward to do it, but Mattathias was so committed to defending the laws in the temple of God that he kills the man who attempted to make the sacrifice. And then he tears down the idol and proclaims, Let everyone who is zealous for the law and who stands by the covenant follow me. Great history. You can read about it in 1 Maccabees chapter 2. And then he and his five sons, uh, John, Simon, Judah, Eliezer, and Jonathan, rally a lot of Jews with them, and they escape into the wilderness. And then they get organized, and they come back in and begin attacking Antiochus' forces with great success. And uh, soon after, Mattathias and his family become known among the Jews as the Maccabees. It wasn't actually their name, but they became known as the Maccabees, which is the Hebrew word for hammer. They took over the northern villages of Judea. They tore down the altars of the idols and killed those who worshipped them, even many of the Hellenistic Jews. And then Mattathias dies in 166 BC, leaving his son Judah Maccabee in charge of his army. And in one of the most famous battles in the history of God's people, Antiochus sends his... uh, well over glorified General Lysias with about 60,000 Seleucid soldiers to crush the Maccabee rebellion rebellion and with just a few thousand men Judah severely outnumbered uses his familiarity of the terrain his overall knowledge of the area to outmaneuver these Seleucid troops and he slowly picks them off by the thousands in fact if you're into military history His use of guerrilla warfare was just brilliant. It's stunning. And so eventually, it all comes down to a battle proper. Judah gathered another 7,000 Jewish rebels, but they were still outmanned, at least five to one. And as the account goes, he prays to God for victory, and overcoming almost impossible odds, secures a decisive triumph over the Seleucid Empire and over Antiochus. Ultimately then, in December of 164 B.C., After many months of clearing and cleaning, the temple was then finally rededicated to God and they celebrated for eight days straight, which is known today as the celebration of Hanukkah. Now, that's a great piece of history, but it's also much more than that. It is a picture of the effectiveness of people who have the power of God working in them and through them, even when faced with overwhelming odds against them. We are able to overcome the most impossible odds when we have God on our side and God on the inside. As Paul puts it in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, right? So look, the world at times is going to rise up against the church. That's a guarantee. In Matthew 10.22, Jesus tells his disciples, you will be hated for my, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, the one who stands firm will overcome, even when hated by the world. Okay, This, this idea that we as the church should be or ever could be fully accepted by our culture or our government, or even all of our neighbors. It's a fallacy. It just isn't true. And the church really should stop being consumed by trying to make that a reality. It's like the video. Just stop it. right? But that's what we do when we try to keep everyone happy all the time so that they will like us or so that we won't offend them. When the truth is, those who refuse to respond to the love and grace of Christ are never going to accept the church or like our message. Now, we still, we still love them. We're still supposed to love the world. Unconditionally, we offer love. We're to be the love of Christ to them, right? Genuinely, while at the same time understanding that not all of them will like us, or accept us and that's actually uh, okay it's okay because even in the face of extreme opposition we are not limited in what we can achieve for the sake of Jesus Christ in his kingdom because he gives us the power to not only stand firm but to take action in those very difficult times those who know God can actually affect Change, great change in our culture, sometimes most effectively, when we're being rejected and persecuted by that same culture. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But before we do, Gabriel says something about those who stand firm and take action that I want to point out here. In verse 33, he says they are wise. He says, "...the wise among the people shall make many understand." So it's those who know their God who are considered to be wise. And not only are they wise, but just as the heaviest pressure is brought to bear on the people of God who stand firm, he says that they shall make many understand. It's another way of saying they stand firm and they take action. They're strong and courageous with great effect. They make many understand. They bring many to a knowledge of God. These are people who despite being pursued, and punished by the government for refusing to bow to the godless culture around them, are leading others to God with great effect. I also think it's noteworthy that even as he describes them as wise, he makes no statements whatsoever about what makes them different from anybody else other than the fact that they know their God. Right? So uh, I have a lot of college behind me but there's no amount of degrees on a wall that can ever make me wise there are people who have experienced many many things that most other people will never be able to but that does not make them wise you look at politicians today some of them travel the world they meet other world leaders and experience places and people and cultures that most people could only dream of and yet There are those among them who make some of the most foolish decisions on behalf of their own people. It doesn't make them wise, their life experience. There are people who run entire universities, some of the most prestigious centers of higher learning in the world. But that does not make them wise. In fact, some of the most respected educators and educational leaders show little to no wisdom whatsoever when it comes to living in the real world. You see, the the, the usual indicators that society places uh, on, uh, on people for what makes them wise can actually have the opposite effect when those same people reject the true source of all wisdom. That's why Gabriel says that those who know their God are the wise people who stand firm and take action while everyone else around them is paralyzed to do anything good when trouble shows up. During the time of Antiochus, There were hordes of Jewish people who blindly followed him and adapted to his pagan culture thinking that they were being wise by preserving themselves when actually all that they did was play into the hands of the enemy. The point is that wisdom only comes from one place and that is from an intimate relationship with God. Proverbs 9.10 and Psalm 111.10 both say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, who are the people that have a reverent fear of the Lord? It's the people who know Him, right? People who uh, don't know God, they don't fear Him at all. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Wisdom comes from knowing God because He's the source of all wisdom. Job 12.13 says, With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. And probably the, the greatest comment in all of Scripture on this subject is from Jesus Himself as He describes future events to His disciples, really echoing the words of Gabriel who probably heard it from Jesus to begin with. In Luke 21, 10-15, Jesus says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Who would give that advice in this world today? You're getting ready to go into the most difficult meeting, the hardest confrontation, the worst situation of your life, and say, you know what, don't, don't think about it. Don't, don't think about what you're going to say. Don't prepare yourself. Jesus says, settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Why? Verse 15, he says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. God is the source of all wisdom. Now look, when troubled times come, and we all know that they do, you can tuck tail and run like most people will, following the crowd and trying to blend in and not make waves or cause offense. You can forfeit your spine like we're witnessing from within some elements of the church today and endorse every watered-down, powerless, compromised pseudo-gospel that... uh, is accepted by our culture who demands by the way that we bow to their own perverted versions of the truth or you can stand firm and take action but that will most assuredly require a great deal of wisdom and that will only come when you truly know god okay so gabriel says those who stand firm and take action are wise he also says they will be tested Verse 35, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time. Now we see people uh, suffering in the stories in Scripture for different reasons. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's for the purpose of judgment. But that is not the case here. Where Gabriel says that those who know God will stumble, which is the Hebrew word kashal, literally means to totter in the ankles or to be uh, weak in the ankles. It's sometimes used as an idiom in Hebrew, a saying to describe those who faltered, under heavy persecution or fear. It's it's the equivalent of our describing someone as being weak in the knees, right? The point being that there will be times in our lives, and in fact, there are times appointed by God in our lives for us to be tested. And obviously, given the language used by Gabriel here, that testing isn't always gonna be a walk in the park. And at times, those who are tested, he says, will be weak in the knees because of the severity of the persecution leveled at us But as with everything that God does, those things that make us comfortable and uncomfortable alike, they always have a purpose. And that purpose is ultimately and always for our good. Gabriel says that those who stand firm and take action will be tested so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. That statement has been... Proven true throughout church history. In fact, the greatest times of flourishing... There's a great scholar named Nancy Piercy who did a, a study. It's wonderful on this. Uh, the greatest times of flourishing and growth for the church of Jesus Christ have always been during the greatest times of persecution. Gabriel and Jesus... Paul, Peter, many others tell us in Scripture that persecution is to be expected, particularly the closer that we come to the, to the final days of this age that we're living in. And in 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. First Peter 4.12-14, through 14, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But we do that, don't we? When things happen in our lives and we cry out, Oh God, why? Why me? Well if if our relationship is right with God, if there isn't an act of sin in our lives, you have to consider the fact that He may be refining you and purifying you. You're being tested. He says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay? The fact is we're going to be tested. And unless you live in a cave, you know that we're already being tested as our society moves further into the post-Christian era that we're now living in, in this nation. And there are many, I know, who would like to take their cues from the Maccabees, and strike back at those who intend to do us harm simply because of our faith and our adherence to the gospel. But we must take our cues from Jesus himself who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5.44 Which does not mean, by the way, that we sit around on the couch and do nothing. On the contrary. We stand firm and we take action. And for us, in our situation, in in this country... In this age, that means we vigorously and relentlessly spread the gospel of Jesus Christ while living that gospel out in our own lives regardless of what any other person or group of people or organization tells us to do otherwise. You see, no one ever said it would be an easy road, and it won't always be, but we can take great solace in the knowledge that the one whom we know, the one who lives in us, will give us all wisdom in our times of testing and will refine and strengthen us in the process. Now, as we continue to read, Gabriel describes all of the terrible things that this Antichrist will do during his appointed time to reign, which very clearly has a beginning and it has an end, meaning that as bad as he will be, God will not allow him to continue beyond the time that has been allotted for him. And again, even as this terribly difficult time of testing is described, notice as we read how the people who know their God are affected in the end. Verse 36, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, um, a god of whom his fathers did not No, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through he shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand Edom and Moab, and the main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. From verse 36 on, the storyline of this vision transcends the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. It really looks ahead now more exclusively toward the Antichrist at the end of our age. And it describes him as a truly evil leader who exalts himself above all others even to the point that he speaks out against the one true God and blasphemes our God and he exalts himself as deity. Verse 38 says that he will honor the God of fortresses which means that he will be focused on military strength above any other power in heaven or on earth to the point that he spends untold amounts of wealth to obtain and build up military strength and then he leverages that strength to elevate all of those who honor and submit to him while attacking all of those who oppose him. He brings great persecution down in the process upon uh, the people of God. And then finally, verse 45 says that somewhere between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, which is a a reference to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Antichrist will fall in the Battle of Armageddon, which you can read about in Revelation chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 16, and Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21. Okay, so while chapter 11 then finishes out describing the activity and fate of this Antichrist, and notice how anticlimactic it is after everything that he's done that he is just destroyed and wiped away. Right? He doesn't get top billing. It's not about him. And then we see in chapter 12, which is a very short chapter, it's only 13 verses, Gabriel describes the activity and the fate of the people of God. So he's talking about the same time period, but he switches from the activity of the Antichrist and his fate to the activity of the people that know God and their fate. Okay? In these last days. Let's read it together. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, "...at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people." And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So again, Gabriel's pointing out the two types of people during these last days and their fate through the activity that's happening from the Antichrist. And we're going to come back to these four verses in just a moment. But let's finish out the chapter uh, first. Verses 5 through the end. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things would be finished. I heard but I did not understand. And then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. and None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise, talking about the people who know their God, shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who awaits and arrives at the thirteen hundred and thirty-five days, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days." So, another angel asks Gabriel how long this will last, Gabriel explains that the people of God will endure through this very difficult and yet refining period of time for three and a half years, and then Daniel asks about the meaning of all of this, and of course, He didn't have the words of Christ or the revelation to John that we have now. And so he was trying to understand what all of this meant for the future. Gabriel says, look, you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep living obediently to God and seal up this vision. It's for those who are yet to come. And you will be rewarded for your faithfulness when your allotted time comes. Of course, we know now that this great time of trouble is a major theme obviously in both the Old and New Testaments. It's predicted as far back as Deuteronomy 4.30. Uh, Jeremiah referred to it in Jeremiah 37. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, 3 through 22. And as we've seen, it's foretold in both Daniel and Revelation. We know that we can count... On the accuracy and the surety of this vision because of the first two uh, thirds or so of chapter 11, which we went over last week, where we see about 135 specific prophecies that have already been fulfilled with stunning detail and accuracy. The point being that the people of God can and should expect times of persecution in this life particularly as we progress closer each day to this time of the end where the persecution he says will intensify and culminate in three and a half years of the most intense harassment and victimization of believers that the world has ever known by the hands of this antichrist and yet the the really beautiful truth to behold in all of this is the description of God's faithfulness to his faithful followers in the first uh Uh, four verses of this final chapter again verse 1 he says at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, we talked about this before. Michael's the patron angel assigned to the protection of God's people. He's going to arise to do exactly what he's been created to do, to put the smack down on the enemy that is persecuting the church. And it says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So, first of all, just as Jesus promised us in Matthew 28 20 he says I'm with you always to the end of the age we know that he will never leave us or forsake us he's with us always he's guiding us and protecting us and strengthening us when we need it the most and so to those who truly know him And it will be obvious who they are, by the way, because they'll be the ones who stand firm and take action when the rest of those who claim to know Him cave to the pressures of the culture around them. And I believe we're seeing the beginnings of that today. Those who truly know Him have no reason to fear because Gabriel says that, first of all, they're wise. Verse 3, "...and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above." He says that although they will be tested, verse 1, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. He also assures us that those who stand firm and take action, those who know their God, will overcome. Verse 3, he says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. At the end of chapter 11, we see the Antichrist star burn out very quickly, and very uneventfully. But it says that we will shine like the stars forever and ever. In other words, we overcome. I love the fact that throughout the entire book of Daniel... As these truly amazing visions are revealed, I love the fact that the message that they prophesy to us for today is simultaneously being lived out by Daniel himself. I wonder sometimes if he recognized that. So that not only were his visions a message from God for us to learn about, but so was his very life. From a young boy to an old man, Daniel never compromised the truth that he had found in God, nor did he ever lose hope. Through great times of prosperity and favor, Daniel honored God in everything that he said and did. And through tremendously difficult times of persecution and want, he honored God in everything that he said and did. Daniel was always able to overcome the world why? Because he knew God, his relationship with his God. It is a lesson that the Apostle Paul learned all too well in his own life, which he expresses in Philippians four eleven through 13. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret to that? I need that in my own life, right? Verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The secret is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul knew Him. And because of it, he was able to overcome hopelessness in every situation and every circumstance of this life. Same with Daniel. The truth is, In my opinion, the word hopeless shouldn't even exist in the Christian vocabulary. We can be a lot of things. Tested, challenged, sorrowful, persecuted, hated. We can be a lot of things, but never hopeless. Because even at the most difficult point for the believer, even the most difficult points in all of world history, For believers, according to Gabriel in verse 1 here, even then we have a great hope because we who know our God, who stand firm and take action are promised. We are promised to overcome. By the way, overcoming doesn't happen as we hide away from the world when the culture rejects us or as we uh, stop being bold in the proclamation of the gospel when the government takes away our freedoms and benefits for refusing to compromise that gospel. Overcoming doesn't happen by reinterpreting the message of Christ so as not to offend anyone who disagrees with us and try to get everyone in the culture to like us. Overcoming doesn't happen as we remain silent while the culture around us spirals deeper and deeper into the abyss of self-exaltation and rampant idolatry. Listen, we don't have the luxury of complacency and the world cannot afford for us to be idle. Human beings are dying without Christ every single day. Okay? Overcoming happens when we stand firm and take action. That is when we will shine like the brightness of the sky above. That is when we will turn many to righteousness. And that is when we will overcome and endure like the stars forever and ever when we stand firm and take action. Let's pray.